care. So there we go. Um, <clears throat> okay. As we go through this a couple of times, we're going to have a couple of Salah moments. Okay. Paul was talking about this on Sunday night. When you read the Psalms, you often see this word Salah, and it just means pause. But really, it means like, okay, let, let's not rush on to the next thing. Let's just take a moment to allow it to sink in. So just for like, I don't know, a minute, but we're just going to go, okay, let, let's just take a Salah moment before we move on to the next thing. I think that might become a part of how I teach uh, every now and again or even more often. Who knows? Um, but what I want to keep talking about is uh, this need for us to be brave enough to become conscious of the reality we are living in. I talked about it two or three weeks ago. Um, I said God is waiting for us to become conscious again, conscious to the reality of life as it really is in this season. And, and when I say that, I'm talking about every aspect of life, seeing life and coming to a place of acceptance of life as it really is. Because most of us live in a place of some form of denial about some form of life. Most people live in that way. Not many people actually are fully open to the actual complete reality of life in all its forms and all of it takes. Um, and of course, there's a reason for that because uh, we don't like what we see. We don't want to admit that we're unhealthy. We don't want to admit that there's more going out than there is coming in in terms of our money. We don't want to admit that our relationship with this person is not what we'd like it to be. So we don't really admit to it, even though we know it. Um, we don't want to become aware of the reality of it. Uh, and so we tell ourselves another story. This is really what it means to be human. That's what humans do. But it's not what redeemed humans do. It's not what restored humans do. Uh, but it's what humans do. Uh, we tell ourselves this narrative. But Jesus' greatest desire is that we find him and find ourselves in him and in the actual reality of our situations. Do you remember I shared from Psalm 37? Do not fret because of those who are evil or be anxious of those who do wrong. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. How many of you know that fretting is a waste of time? That worrying is a waste of time? It's a waste of emotional energy, and yet we manage to be incredibly good at it. But fretting is really just a waste of time and energy. But of course, as we move forward, it's really important that we learn more and more to flow in and live out of your spirit. Because when you start to fret about things, what, you, what happens is you then start to have an emotional response, and you often operate out of that emotional response. But the kingdom is not built on your emotional responses. The kingdom is built on the spirit of God. The kingdom's built when we move by the spirit, in the spirit, and display the fruit of the spirit, which may well have some emotion with it. And then I talked about dwelling in the land. That's this idea of living in reality. Okay. The first step for any change is to accept where we are. If you were in a, uh, well, a 12-step program for alcohol, the first step is this. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. That's the first step on any 12-step program. If it's, if it's drugs, it's we admitted we were powerless over whatever, that our lives had become unmanageable. And because um, the 12-step program is all based on scripture, it's all based on a higher power, it's all based on biblical principles, actually. Um, but, but the first step to change, so we admitted that we had more money going out than coming in. Our lives had become unmanageable. That's the first step on fixing a problem with money. You have to admit you've got a problem with it. I admitted 
that my anxiety was greater than anything else. It had become unmanageable. Okay, well, now you can start to find a solution. But of course, until you admit it's a problem, and that it really is a problem, you can't find a solution because you don't have a problem. Although you do. In other words, there's an issue that I'm dealing with, or more likely not yet dealing with, and this is the issue. Until you come to a point where you actually name the issue, nothing in your life can change. Until you actually come to a point of naming it and being honest and open about it, nothing can change. Whether that's in the business you run, in the classroom that you manage, whether it's in the group of people you're looking after, whether it's in your family, nothing can actually change until you first come to terms with the problem that exists and face up to it. And so I want to go from, guess where? John chapter 9. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. Okay. So Jesus walks along, and according to the scripture, he meets a man who was blind from birth. We know what that means. It means that when he came out of his mother's womb, this man, he did not have the ability to see in the natural. His eyes did not function as they were designed to function. But of course, his genesis was not in his mother's womb. His genesis was before that in God. And in God, he could see perfectly well. In his original good design, he could see perfectly well. Because according to Ephesians 1 and Romans 8.29, 8.29, you were not born initially. You were born in other world when you came as a human being. But you were in the heart of God where before that. And in the heart of God, he could see. In the heart of God, he could see perfectly well. And of course, when Jesus looked at him, he went, okay, you can see really well. You just haven't come to that realization yet. Your body's not caught up with the original design yet. That's really what's going on here. Romans 8.29 says, He engineered us from the start to fit the mood of sonship and likeness according to the exact blueprint of his design. We see the original and intended shape of our lives preserved in his son. He is the firstborn from the womb that reveals our genesis, our beginning. He confirms we are the invention of God. And the reason we're talking about genesis and beginnings and who you are is because of this truth. You see, when we talk about seeing reality, there's, there's the outside reality, where we're at, relationships, finances, health, all that, and, and we've got to see that deeper, but we've also got to learn more and more to see ourselves more clearly. And of course, you are not trying to find yourself or create yourself. You are not trying to, I love the way that Emily Modell puts it, finding yourself is not really how it works. You are not a $10 bill in last winter's coat pocket. You are also not lost. Your true self is right there, buried under cultural conditioning, other people's opinions, and the accurate conclusions you drew as a kid that became your beliefs about who you are. Finding yourself is actually returning to yourself. It's an unlearning, an excavation, a remembering of who you were before the world got its hands on you. Okay, so who were you before the world got its hands on you? If that's what you're becoming, who were you then before the world got its hands on you? That's why it's so vital you start to grasp the truth of your genesis, the truth of who you really are before the world got its hands on you. Who were you before the world got its hands on you? And you've got to have an answer to that question because otherwise you don't know where you're going. If you don't know who you were before the world got its hands on you, then actually, well, what can you find? You've got to try and invent yourself or come up with something, but you don't need to invent yourself. You've just got to go back to your original good design. I think everybody needs to just have a ponder on that question. We're going to have a ponder in a second. But but, but what is your true identity? What's at the core of you? 
Is anxiety at the core of you? Is shame at the core of you? Is pain at the core of you? Is disappointment at the core of you? Or is goodness, peace, or hope at the core of you? And of course, there may well be anxiety, shame, pain, disappointment, but that is a wrapper around the car. It's not the car. What the enemy does is cause you to believe that is the car. But it's not. It's just a wrapper. All that stuff's just a wrapper around the car. But it's all right me telling you that, but what's important is what do you think it is? Do you think it's the car or is it the wrapper? And really, the journey of discipleship is the journey of unwrapping the car of you. That's meant to be the journey that you're on. It's to unwrap all that stuff to release the car. Okay, first slam moment. Just take a moment. Who were you before the world got its hands on you? Ponder it. Write some words down. What's rapper and what's car? Just have a think for a moment. Okay, it'll need a longer ponder than that, but I would encourage you to ponder it. The author, John Alley, puts it like this. This is what you're like at the car. This is what the Father thinks about you. The Father loves you deeply and passionately. He cherishes you above all. As far as the Father is concerned, there is no one like you. In all the universe, there's no one like you. You are the apple of his eye. He watches over you and holds you in loving, tender embrace. Nothing is too good for you. That's your car. But of course, it has to move from here to here. It has to actually know it as your car. Is anything too, is anything too good for you? No. And then, of course, what you've got to do is you've got to do some things that actually make that a reality. So part of faith is going, okay, I wouldn't normally do this or enjoy this or go there, but Father thinks nothing's too good for me, so I'm going to go there. I'm going to do that thing that I don't think I deserve, but Father says I deserve it, so I'm going to do it anyway. That's how you break through in faith. That's why sometimes I stay in super nice hotels, sometimes even with money I don't have. And some people would say it's foolish, but hey, money's just a tool to get me back to my car. It's just a tool to get you back to your car. Because if getting back to your car is the key thing, why wouldn't you use money to get you back to your car? Now, I'm not saying you should do that. I'm just saying for me, I'll do anything to get back to my car. So sometimes I stay in the nicest hotel I can find and remind me nothing's too good for me. Not really. Because you've got to know what heart that comes from and do it in the right way. But sometimes it can be helpful. Of course, the issue with us is that just like the man in John 9, we all struggle with blindness. We know some things, but we don't know everything. We can do some things, but we can't do everything. We can fix some things, but we can't fix everything. We understand some things, but we can't understand everything. The truth is all things are possible. All things belong to you, and all things are yours. That's the truth according to your genesis, your beginning. But right now, because of those wrappers that are around everybody, some of them are available to you, and some are not, because some you can see and some you can't. At the trustees meeting we had this week, Paul shared this quote from Bill Johnson, who said... um, The proof of a transformed mind is when the impossible becomes logical. That's fantastic, isn't it? 
the proof of a transformed mind is when the impossible seems logical. <laughs> I like that a lot. <laughs> because the problem is if you're blind, it's very difficult to navigate anywhere. Even trying to navigate familiar places is difficult if you can't see very well. And trying to navigate unfamiliar places is particularly tough. The other day, Faye had one of the worst migraines she's had in a long, long time. So she had this like thing on her eyes, so she had no light in her eyes. And I, I literally had to guide her around the house. Now, that's our house that we've lived in for 14 years, but she still needed to be guided through the house that she lived in because she couldn't see. So literally, I'm like telling her there's a step there, there's a step there, and I'm guiding her. Well, of course, because when, you, when you're blind, you need help, don't you? And what you realize is when... Let me not jump ahead. Of course, if you're not seeing very well in the spirit, then navigating life can be really tough. You end up bumping into things, knocking things over, and generally being clumsy in life. And I don't mean physically, I mean in our relationships. People who are clumsy in their relationships are people who are not able to see very well. I mean, obviously, there's other factors as well, but generally... If you realize that person's really clumsy and they're, okay, well, it's because they can't see very well. They're not able to see what's going on. They're not able to understand themselves or see what's happening around them. You end up being quite clumsy if you can't see. In your interactions with other people, you end up hurting them, saying things that are unhelpful. And it's all because you're not seeing clearly. But it's also helpful to understand that because if somebody is clumsy in their relationships with you, you go, ah, okay, they just can't see very well. And suddenly, hopefully, Grace arises for them because you recognize, okay, they just need to see a little bit there. And maybe we've got to pray for people's ability to see rather than start pointing the finger at saying why they hurt us. And when I talk about seeing, well, I'm not talking about seeing with my mind. I'm talking about seeing in the spirit, seeing what God is doing and flowing with that. So, so for me, I, I felt these last couple of days as I was just listening on the train going back up to Jesus that in this new era I won't be spending much time developing my mind because I don't need my mind in this new era I need my spirit I don't need to do some course or need to read any strategy books or read no I need to develop my spirit so for me if I want to develop my spirit I've got to spend time doing that because any time I spend developing my mind won't actually help me I want to see in the spirit and know what God's doing so instead, I'm going to prioritize things that develop my connection with Jesus, just stop with him on walks, in silence, exploring different ways of creative worship and expression. That's what I'm going to give myself to rather than anything else. I'm not buying books that are how-tos, which I don't really do anyway, but do you understand me? It's like, okay. You see, here's the fascinating thing. All the answers you need are found in him via your spirit. He can actually teach you all things. That's what he says in John 14, 26. The spirit teaches you all. The anointing teaches you all things. Now, I have never done a course in anything to do with what I do now. I have no formal, the only formal qualifications I have is a degree in economics, and I used to be a qualified financial advisor. That's it. Those are the, I think I have a grade one in canoeing on the canal as well, and I might have my cycling proficiency. But other than that, I have nothing, nothing formally. But I was schooled in the spirit. And by the grace of God, I still am skilled in it. But please don't think this is just a church arena thing. His spirit teaches us all things. That co-worker you are struggling with, well, how about tuning into the spirit? That IT issue you're struggling with, how about tuning into the spirit? That child you are struggling with, how about tuning into the spirit? Instead of looking at the latest Instagram post on parenting, why not just spend some moments with Jesus and find out what he says about it? Because he wants to teach you all things. 
Of course, there's all wonderful things, but the answer to everything that you need is found in him. And of course, he's provided people around us who can hear him for us. But we've got to ask the question whether the people we are looking to are seeking him for the answer or someone else. So, so we've got to ask this question. Who are you a student of? In other words, who's teaching you? Who have you allowed as a key influence in your life? And are they teaching you from the spirit or from the mind? And if you don't know, I'd be asking some questions. Think about the people you talk to, the people you follow on social media, the books you read, the videos you watch, the people you go to for advice. Are they just keying in with their mind or are they keying in with your spirit and passing that on? Because if you really want to kick on in this new era, you've got to be a student of those who are teaching you to think with your spirit rather than your mind. Okay. Salam, Oman. Who are you a student of? And are they teaching you from the spirit or the mind? They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside of the village. If you are blind, you need someone to lead you to a new place. And there's no point asking someone who is blind as you are to lead you. You need someone who can actually see to take you to a new place. You see, here's the thing. If we're not awake to the reality of our own blindness, then you'll stumble along bumping into things and generally causing chaos, all the while refusing to be led somewhere. If you're not awake to the reality of your own blindness, then you'll stumble along bumping into things and generally causing chaos, all the while refusing to be led somewhere. Because the issue is whether we are humble enough to admit that we are blind to some things, that we don't know everything, that we don't have the answers, and we don't understand everything. What I find fascinating <clears throat> is that most people would give lip service to this truth, that they don't know everything, don't understand everything, that there are certain areas in which they don't see you very well. Most people would admit that truth. But here's, here's the thing again. The people who are truly admitting it are the ones who are not just admitting they can't see, but those who are allowing someone else to lead them. So the people who are really admitting it are the people who are allowing somebody else to lead them because the extent to which you are admitting you are blind is measured by the extent to which you are willing to be led. The extent to which you are admitting you are blind is measured by the extent to which you are willing to be led. Because if you're not allowing anybody else to lead you, you're not really admitting to the reality of your blindness. Instead, you're giving lip service to your blindness, but actually you're wandering around blind, causing chaos as you're crashing at people everywhere. It's a bit like... Uh, uh, it's a bit like somebody who's got cataracts, I suppose, and going, no, it's fine, I can see perfectly well, whilst bumping into everything everywhere. Okay, well, you need some, you need some help them, don't you? The extent to which you're admitting you are blind is measured by the extent that you are willing to be led. What don't you know or understand, or do, or do you want to know? What don't you know or understand, and do you want to know or understand? Because if you do truly want to know and understand, you will have asked someone to lead you to a new place. 
If you actually do want to go somewhere else, you'd have asked somebody to take you there. The proof that you want to see something different, that you want to deal with your blindness and see something new is shown by the extent to which you ask someone to lead you to a new place. So if you want to know your real answer to the question of whether you are dealing with your blind spots, you've got to ask, who's leading me and who am I following? Have I actually asked somebody to help me see? And here's the key. If I spoke to the person who you say is leading you, would they be able to tell me clearly and articulate clearly where you have asked them to lead you? Would they know? Because that tells me whether you've shared it properly or not. So I know that if you ask Paul, where are you leading Adam? He'd be able to tell you exactly where, because I've clearly shared it with him and he knows and he's clear where we're going. But that's the real test, whether they actually know. Okay, finally, a couple of thoughts about people that I would be led by. Because of course, there are many people willing to hold out their hand and offer to lead you to a new place to help you navigate life. And again, this is not just about our internal lives, but it's about the whole of life. You see, we have more information than we've ever had in the history of the world, which is not good because it leads to information overload and decision fatigue. And they're all real things that you can read books about. We are worse at making decisions now because we have too much information. That's the reality in our lives. So rather than just have three people opinions, we, now we can get 27. So we go, well, 27's got to be better than three. So three months later, we've got the 27, and they all say 27 different things. Well, now you're just in decision fatigue, and you don't know what to do because you've got information overload because your brain was not really designed to hold that much information to make decisions. Fascinatingly, the wisdom writers knew this. The words of the wise prod us to live well. They're like nails hammered home, holding life together. They are given by God. But regarding anything beyond this, dear friends, go easy. There's no end to the publishing of books, and constant study wears you out, so you're no good for anything. I love how 2,000-year-old ancient Hebrew literature speaks to today. Eh? There's no end to the publishing of information, and constant study wears you out, so you're no good for anything else. That there is decision fatigue right there. So here's the thing. I am not really interested in the latest fad or whatever social media tells me is the best thing. Neither am I interested in something that doesn't have a track record over a number of years. Because I want to know what the fruit is. Because Jesus said you'll know them by their fruit. Okay, so forget that it's new and shiny. What's the fruit? And if it ain't produced fruit yet, I ain't listening. What I'm interested in is kingdom wisdom that's born fruit because the words of the wise prod us to live well. And it's not just wisdom I'm after but it's kingdom wisdom from somebody who's actually walked the walk and produced the fruit and has something to show for it. You see, if I was starting anything new, whether that be a family, a business, a charity, or even a new stage in life, I wouldn't be listening to someone who hadn't actually walked the walk and produced the fruit that I could clearly see. If I was starting a new family, I wouldn't listen to somebody who had a two-month-old baby. Sorry, but they don't know anything. I'd be listening to somebody who had an 18-year-old and going, tell me about it. That's what I'd be doing. I had an 18-year-old who I could look at and go, if my child were like that, I'd be very happy. I'd go talk to them. I'd be doing that. I would be seeking out those who would demonstrate that produce something of kingdom value on the earth over a decent period of time. If I was starting a charity, I wouldn't just Google it. I'd go, John Kirby, what do I need to do to get with you? What will it take to sit down with you for an hour and a half? And it cost me a very expensive meal. That's what I'd do because that would be worth it. If I wanted to start a Christian school, I know what I'd do. And it wouldn't be Google. No, but do you understand me? I won't be, be Instagramming to see what the latest Instagram people is on Why would I do that? 
I have no idea what the fruit is of that thing. It's just a shiny post. And once I'd found them, I'd grill them, hassle them, stalk them, and hunt them down until I'd learn everything from them in a nice way. Not bad. I kind of use those words deliberately because and for me, it'd be somebody I can actually walk in relationship with. I, I don't understand why you wouldn't use the kingdom experience in the relationships you've already got who have the same heart, the same vision, and glean from them. There's so much wisdom in this house. And I'm not talking about me or Paul. I'm talking about the wisdom in the house. Whether it be children and families, charities, businesses, art, counseling, the depth is incredible. But I don't understand why we don't use it more. I mean, honestly, if I had a young family, I'd have to fill an order around for tea every six months. No, I would. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you do that? I'd have Heather around. She's worked with kids for age. I'd have Heather around. She works. There's so much stuff in the room that you could use. Why would, if I wanted to start a business, I'd go, right, okay, well, there's, there's Simon. He started the bar and worked all the way to the top. Steve's had his own business and got rid of it now. There's all, there's all sorts of... Well, he has. He sold it. Like, he built it and sold it. It's great. Like if I, but do you understand me? Like why, why would you not do it? Why would you do it outside the relationships we've got? It doesn't make sense to me. If I wanted to adopt somebody, I'd be going, right, Simon and Jackie, Matt and Anka, tell me everything you need to know. Because they've already, because, of course, there's tons of stuff out there. But there's not tons of stuff that has the same heart and he's going in the same direction. And he's coming from the same foundation. There's lots of wisdom, but there's very little kingdom wisdom. And wisdom don't build the house. Kingdom wisdom builds the house. Unless you don't want a kingdom life, in which case don't take kingdom wisdom. But if you want kingdom life, you need kingdom wisdom, don't you? I don't understand why we keep wanting to reinvent the wheel. But yeah, I do understand it. My voice will last, I think. Because we, we fall for the market of all these new types of wheels. We get sucked into it. But Jesus said this, last point. Every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven... He's like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. As well as old, not just new. So if the person you're listening to isn't bringing out of his or her storeroom something new as well as something old, they have clearly not been instructed in the kingdom. Because Jesus said, every teacher who's been instructed about the kingdom brings out new and old. So if it's just shiny new, well, there's a problem then, isn't there? If it's not built on the ancient paths, Jeremiah 6, 16, stand at the crossroad and follow the ancient paths. Of course, there's always new, there's new insight. We know tons more now about psychology, about brains, about minds, about how we interact. There's new, but actually there's also the old as well. And the ancient wisdom with a new understanding. Okay, that's where the life is. So in everything I'm doing, I'm listening, I'm asking, what is there of the old and ancient paths and what fresh insight is there? And if I can't find both, I ain't giving you my time to listen. If something is just all new and there's no link to the ancient past, it doesn't have years of fruit behind it, then this is interesting, isn't it? If it doesn't have years of fruit behind it, by definition, it is an experiment. It just is, isn't it? If it doesn't have years behind it, it just is an experiment. And I'm sorry, but me and my family and the people I love are too valuable to experiment on. They're too valuable to experiment on. And so I, I, I'm not going to do something that doesn't have years behind it because... For me, that just means it's an experiment. But I want to leave you with some questions. I've finished. In all the various areas of your life, which areas are you aware you are not seeing very well? 
And in those areas you're not seeing very well, have you asked someone to lead you a new place? And if you have asked somebody to lead you, then is that person bringing kingdom wisdom that's rooted in the ancient paths and the new light of the Spirit? Because what you need right now is some ancient paths and some new light of the Spirit. That's what you really need. That's what will get you through. That's what will get you into this new place that we're going. And it's incredibly exciting. I, I don't remember a time when I am seeing God move as much as he is moving and doing as much as he is doing as I'm seeing now. Oh, great, the kids are back. That was a good time now. And a lot of it, of course, is very personal. A lot of it is deep in people's hearts. And so much of it can't really be shared very publicly. Although at some point, I hope and pray it will. But I just want you to be assured that I think I'm seeing more breakthrough quicker than I've ever seen it this year so far. And I love it, and I'm excited about it. And you should be excited about it too. Okay.